the way you operate in the face of adversity is the way things are going to end up however long it takes welcome to the competitive mindset podcast each interview we talk to leaders who differentiate themselves and achieve high levels of performance through the lens of motivation competitiveness and mindset these conversations lead to thought-provoking idea sharing and growth accompanied by entertaining storytelling welcome along on our journey to lifelong learning improve performance and a look inside the competitive mindset the greatest games podcast interviews coaches of all levels about the greatest games they have ever been a part of chris and brian post two episodes per week that explore these great games and also takes a dive into each coach's journey and some lessons that they have learned along the way catch the greatest games podcast on all podcast platforms as well as thegreatestgames.podbean.com. Jason Kemp, welcome to the Competitive Mindset. How are you doing? Glad I could glad I could join you today. Well, I'm happy you're here. I love that you're wearing maroon, but the accent color is a little wrong, and we'll get into that here in a little bit. So let's start with your journey and how it's led you to what you're doing now at the University of Minnesota. Yeah, well, I I kind of. I kind of took the road less traveled in regards to how I got to to power five basketball and and, and coaching in the Big Ten. I will say this: um, probably about my junior year of of high school, I started on a course to becoming a college basketball coach. And probably my sophomore year of college, I knew I wanted to try to coach at the highest level. I didn't know how to get there, but as a Big Ten fan. It was a dream of mine to be become a Big Ten coach. So here I sit today um, as an assistant at the University of Minnesota. My journey started out in Fitchburg, Wisconsin, suburb of Madison. I went to Verona Area High School, played basketball and football um, there. And that was really where everything I'm about, I was shaped and molded. Um, I had hardworking parents. Um, my mother was an aerobics instructor. Every last dollar... Um, of of what she was able to put together, teaching aerobics classes, paid for my college tuition at the University of Wisconsin La Crosse. My father was in healthcare administration, and he was very tough on me. Uh, very tough on me in areas outside of athletics and how you carry yourself, your moral compass, the type of man you are, um, academics. He held me to a higher standard. There was never a situation where. Uh, I came home in any of those areas and achieved something, and it was great job you've arrived. It was always what more can you do? At the time, you know, I looked at it as man, I can't please this guy. But now, looking back on it, I realized like uh, you know what he was doing for me at uh, you know at that time. So, long story short, I went to University of Wisconsin Lacrosse. And I, I, I call myself one of the original transfer guys, so to speak, and just kind of wishy-washy. I say that loosely. Um, I, I originally was going to UW-Platteville to play for Bo Ryan. That spring, he left and went to UW-Milwaukee. I was a Division three player, um, so I ultimately ended up at UW-Lacrosse and played four years there. You know, had an experience of a lifetime going to school there. Love my school till, still to this day. And I was, you know, I was there right around the time where there was a lot of transition going on in, in their basketball program. So I ultimately played for three coaches. My first coach, Charlie Gross, um, I played for for a year. Stu Engen, 
who was a very influential person in my life, which I'll, I'll get to in a little bit. Um, I played for for two years. First year with him, uh, we weren't very good. That next year, we, we were on the brink of winning a conference championship for the first time since 1968. Came down to the last night of conference play um, where we, we didn't, we ultimately lost to River Falls and, and ended up finishing second in the league. Um, but he really showed me what that program could be and how, how to win um, on, a, on a big level. He then had the opportunity to go to Minnesota State Moorhead, a Division II school, um, after my redshirt sophomore year. Um, and we had an interim coach, Brad Nadborn, who had coached at the highest level of Division I. He was an assistant coach at Colorado. And so he showed us as Division Three players the commitment um, and the things that were necessary and the things that needed to be done uh, to be great individually. He, you know, it was the first time I had heard of an individual workout was when Coach Nadborn was there. And then my senior year, you know, I was I was injured as a junior. Um, I tore up my knee at River Falls. Um, that was where I decided, you know, coaching is going to be something that I, I would love to go into. Um, you know, and I came up with that strictly from sitting there on the sidelines, watching my team and trying to motivate and trying to help them through a difficult season. And then my senior year with Coach Cable, you know, we were able to win six out of our last seven games and had a great experience there. So as my college career closed, as I ultimately ended up knowing that coaching was what I wanted to go into, Stu Engen, who I played for my first two years, asked if I would come up and take a job as an assistant coach with him. as a restricted earnings assistant job. He said, I don't have much to offer. It's $4,000 for the year. You're going to have to find ways to supplement. You know, as long as you're at practice, um, you'll be able to learn about the profession. So I thought about it and said, look, I want to be a Big Ten coach. I know I, I know I want to do that. That's I've got that in the front of my mind. Like That's how do I get there? I said, I've got to try to go somewhere where nobody else would go. And I just figured, oh, this is on the western side of Minnesota. That this is this is somewhere I can go where I can I can make this happen. So packed up my 96 Ford Explorer uh, and hit the road. And when I got to about St. Cloud, I was like, where am I going? Ended up in Moorhead, Minnesota. I was able to find an apartment in in Moorhead on 28th Avenue for about 200 bucks a month and, and lived there in a one bedroom apartment. I got two other jobs. You know, I had my education degree from UWL. I was able to get a long-term sub position in Moorhead High School. One of the elite high school coaches in um, Minnesota, his name is Chuck Galsvig, won uh, probably over 700 games. He had me in there, um, Fayette department and who, whichever coach was gone, I would sub for every day. So I had that deal where I'd wake up at 7 a.m., go to the high school every day, sub for whoever was gone. After that, at three o'clock, I would go to practice at Minnesota State Moorhead, be at practice, do all my recruiting calls and all that. And then at night, I worked at this company called RGIS. And our job was to show up at about 10 o'clock at night and take and basically inventory big stores so we would go into they would call me at like seven o'clock and say we're gonna we're gonna count target tonight so we would come in with our little handheld beepers and and 
literally count every item in the store. They would give you a section, you put tags on every item to just inventory, like what's there, what's not, how much they've sold. And when I tell you it was a grind, uh, it was a grind. Sometimes if, if you were counting like a Walmart, you know, you wouldn't get back until three o'clock AM and in your head, all you could hear was that those little guns beeping in your mind. And it was, I mean, it was intense. And so you would turn around the next morning, get the call, you know, the automated call and get ready to go back to the high school for, for more, uh, for more teaching. So that was my start in college coaching. After that year, um, I was given the opportunity by Tim Miles, who was the head coach at North Dakota State University across the river, to come over and be his graduate assistant. I wasn't sure if I wanted to go. I felt loyal. I felt indebted to Coach Ingen for the opportunity he gave me. I was an assistant coach on the floor. Going into that graduate assistant role, there were going to be some restrictions on recruiting and things like that. So I, I didn't understand how I was going to grow. All I knew is they were going Division One. And saw Phillips, who was from Reedsburg, Wisconsin, who, you know, coached at Wisconsin, probably a lot of people listening to your podcast know him. I went up and met him in his office. He was an assistant coach for Coach Miles at the time. And the reason I decided to do it was because Saul said, like, while I was talking to him, said, well, we're going to play Wisconsin. And now I was like, oh, I'm going home. Let's let's go. Like, I'm, I'm in. So. Decided to do it, was back in school, uh, you know, probably about um, a couple of weeks into my experience in sport administration at, at North Dakota State. I was like, why am I in school again? Um, but I was having a blast. We were transitioning from division two to division one. And we had a four year window where we wouldn't be eligible. We redshirted five guys. You know, we recruited basically a division two all-star team registered five guys with the intent that they would have one chance to make it to the NCAA tournament. Two years later, Coach Miles, after we won that game at Wisconsin, the following year we won at Marquette, he was given an opportunity to go to Colorado State University as a head coach. I had the chance that I could have gone with him uh, as the ops guy or stay with Saul as an assistant. I stayed at North Dakota State as an assistant Two years later, we were in the NCAA tournament with that group that had that one chance and they capitalized on it. We played um, we played Kansas at the Metrodome, the old Metrodome in Minneapolis and played a close game with them. But from there, that's kind of where my career took off was that moment where we were able to make that NCAA tournament. So been a long journey. I wouldn't trade it for the world. I'll throw one name at you. Mike Nelson beast <laughs> mike and i go way back to when we were kids i love mike yeah. he's phenomenal he is when you know and coaches always talk about this like they love players that don't get tired he is the epitome of that he could i mean like cardiovascular endurance for days um we used to this is saul was the king of simplicity when it came to coaching and we had a play called egg just like a like a hard-boiled egg and essentially what it meant was everybody get. And so it'd be everybody get, and then whoever the, the player was. So if it was everybody get Mike, it, it essentially was everybody screening for Mike Nelson while he just ran around in circles off screens. And it was unguardable because he would, his physical and like his endurance, like he could just keep running and keep running. 
Um, and he would always get, to, and he was a very accurate shooter. Um, so that was, that was his deal, but he was, he was a great player. He was a great player Had a good career. So as you were talking there, there's a lot of parallels and similarities to some of the things that I went through. Like you talk about tagging in stores. You know, my uncle had a clothing store and I used to do that as a kid doing his inventory. And, and there's just a whole lot of things that are interesting there. But one of the first things you said that stuck out to me was the moral compass with your dad. Mm-hmm. And he never let you shine in the light and always kind of gave you more to achieve, right? Mm-hmm. Can you recall one specific instance where you came home and you were like, man, I'm on top of the world and he kind of set you back and, and how that shaped you to move forward? I, I certainly could tell you this. I did not start playing basketball competitively till sixth grade. So I, I played every day at recess. I was, oh, for all intents and purposes, a little shorter than I am right now for pretty much my entire uh, you know, middle school experience. And so basketball came easy to me just because I was taller than everybody. In sixth grade, um, I was, you know, christened the the next great Verona Wildcat, you know, really had to try to understand what was, you know, what was real and what was not. And early on, it was it was very easy for me. Basketball came easy. By the time I got to my sophomore year, Everybody had caught up in height, um, and I should say my freshman year because this is when the this is when the moment occurred. But like, we come into practice freshman year. Uh, I am on the sophomore team. No, sorry, I'm on the freshman team. I'm kept on the freshman team. Three of my closest friends get moved up to the sophomore team, right? And literally a year earlier, I'm taller than all of them. I'm still killing everybody. And so that quick, I was I was humbled, right? And that moment when I got home, it brought me to my knees to think that how could they leave me on freshman team? And my dad walked in from work. And remember, one of the things I said was he always, he constantly was playing these games of adversity is going to hit you like a ton of bricks. And you better be ready for it. And you better understand that there's no way no quick way around it. You, you've got to strategically get around it. And I can remember he was like, what is wrong with you? And I said, they left me on the freshman team and they moved all these other guys up. And literally he just like with no eye contact or anything said, it's just a game and kept walking. Okay. And so as a freshman in high school, I knew at that moment, like I've got to pick myself up off the floor man, I've got to figure this out myself. And, you know, I value that moment more than anything. I think it really changed my mindset and how I think about everything I encounter. Think about me as a division three player and the mindset I had to have to overcome some perceptions about me coaching at the division one level and then me coaching at the power five level without having that playing experience. Like, you know, I've I've always had that mindset of like, there's a way to get there, but don't forget who you are and what you have to do to get to get there. Yeah, I think that's so important to it's not always a straight path. Like we envision this path of yeah, playing JV and then varsity or, or going straight to varsity as a freshman, but just because ABC doesn't line up and you go to X and then back to D doesn't mean that it's not necessarily a bad thing. 
um, moving forward for you. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. And, and I can appreciate that story as well. So let's go back a little bit further and it may not be sports related, but tell me about the first time you remember participating in a competition. Sixth grade. So I don't know if you remember, you probably do remember this because you're from Waterloo, right? Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah, you guys definitely. So they used to have this, um, it was like a county basketball league. Tri-county. Tri-county, right? That was it. And I can remember, I think our first tournament was at at Mount Horeb. And Mount Horeb had some really talented kids in middle school. And I can remember going there and just destroying the entire, I think I averaged like maybe 35 a game. Like it, it was, it was significant. That like back then, like I can remember like, thinking like this is going to be really easy like I'm going places you know like um, but that was my first um, that was my first taste of competition and I think it set me up a little bit because I was thinking this is going to be an easy process I'm going to be in the NBA life is good so that but that was my first competition was Tri-County. So now you talked about when you got into coaching you want to be a Big Ten coach and, and obviously now you're sitting in that seat can you talk to me about your mindset as far as success and what it means to you and how that has changed from when you started at Moorhead to where you are now in Minnesota? Mm -hmm. Well, I came in with a ton of, like I was green. I didn't know anything about this, this level of college basketball. And I, I will say this, first of all, some of the best, like the best coaches I've ever been around are at the division three level. And it is not close. It's not close. Like I, I've seen like a million guys in the WIAC who can coach half the, the, the head coaches in, in Division One basketball under the table, and it would not even be close. The Jack Bennett's, the Bo Ryan's, um, Ted Van Dellen, Pat Miller, Augie Vandermeulen, like those those guys. And there's a new wave of guys. I I pay attention to it. Aaron Onison, who I played with, elite college basketball coach like those guys are really good coaches and so you know I, I think for me and my mindset in regards to how do I go from division three player to division one assistant to the big 10 you know I started out with a ton of confidence because I just didn't know any better like it was like oh I can coach at that level and I think that helped me you know it's similar to and I say this all the time, like some of the best college basketball players are small town kids that are super talented because they don't know anything about playing against the, the highest level. They go out in EYBL and all these, the, the Adidas circuit, and they just, they just go crazy because they don't know any better. And that was a little bit of my mindset being a division three player. I was like, I can, I can do that. You know what I mean? Um, and so, you know, I heard this the other day in regards to like my approach and you said, how has my, my approach changed? So what I heard, I heard you are handpicked, but you can't pick your hand. So play the cards you are dealt. So where my whole process has changed and my mindset has changed is that like, I came in with a ton of confidence early and every roadblock I hit was like devastating. Interviewing for jobs and thinking you're going to get them. And there was a ton along the way and not getting them. Like it, it set me back a long time, you know, and I just turned 40, you know, I still feel like I'm young and I got a lot of time in front of me in, in this thing, but like, 
I did watch. I watched a lot of guys that came in behind me go right past me. And it, that was that was always hard. But my thing is this, like you're handpicked. So that to me is your confidence and where I was at the beginning of my career and where I am today because of what I know now. Like you, you, you have a, com- a confident mindset no matter what you're going through. So you can't pick your hand, right? That's the adversity that hits you. And how do you deal with that adversity? So play the cards you're dealt and that's your perseverance. And so to me, the one thing that I've really changed as I've gone on in this profession is not thinking that my struggles are any different than anyone else's. That's been the biggest piece to me getting where I am now is when I was at North Dakota State and I was enjoying and having success and embracing the process and at the same time, it was a, there was a little bit of, I should be doing what this person is doing, or I should be here. I should. And now I look back on it and I'm like, no, you shouldn't. Because the guys that are, have gotten there, like they're, they're struggling just like you are. And I think when you can stay in that mindset, it helps you work, but it helps you work with uh, an even temper. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And and going alongside that, one of the things I always tell people and I try to live by is in every piece of adversity, there's an opportunity. You just have to find it. And essentially equating that to you just have to play the correct card out of your hand as you just demonstrated it. 100%. So in terms of competition, over the course of your career, I'm curious, going from a young green coach at at Moorhead to a graduate assistant and moving your way up, what has changed in your mindset in regards to what competition means to you? This is, this is a very cliche, like coaching, um, coaching deal. And all coaches think this way, but you've got to have a mindset where if you're up 10, you're still working. If you're down 10, you're not freaking out. You're, you're just trying to claw back and you live right in the middle at all times. So um, I try to apply that to like literally to every day of uh, the tasks I need to accomplish, uh, the people I need to reach out to, no matter how contentious the, the moment is, or, or if there's a player that's struggling on the court, how can I help them? I'm helping them with a calm perspective um, or I'm, I'm getting through these tasks from a calm perspective. And I think people, when people see uh, your poise, I think there's there's more success for for the group as a whole. Uh, so that that's been my biggest thing with that is just just trying to approach things up ten down ten. You you do everything the same way. It's interesting, and I'm going to get whiplash from nodding along because you and I are very similar in a lot of things. And you use the word poise, and and one word I used to describe myself as calm, and those things tend to go you know in the same manner. So I'm curious with this next one if we're still in alignment. So when you're competing. And I want you to maybe think about when you played in that first NCAA tournament game when you, when you were at NDSU. Going to that game, are you driven by the fear of losing or the joy of winning? Okay. So I, w- I will tell you this, and it's just like everything. I wasn't always like this. And if you talk to Saul Phillips, he would tell you. Like, I used to be a basket case. Before games, after games, there was one time – so. For instance, we, we go to Wisconsin, we, we beat Wisconsin. They were ranked 13th in the country. This is when we were at North Dakota State. We, that was on a Saturday. We come back that following Tuesday and we play Idaho at home, right? 
that we've got now we're we're valid like we were like this team it's all there they were all i think they're yeah they were all freshmen mike nelson was a freshman at the time and we're like we are really good and these guys are going to be here for four years so we play idaho at home and beat them like we're down the whole game <laughs> and we beat them like right at the end of the game and we go like at the time we had maybe the worst facilities in division one basketball Saul's office was in the press box at the top of the um, at the top of the arena. And it was like 90 degrees in the dead of winter up there. And so we're up there sweating. And this is after the game. And I'm just we just gave up too many threes. And what are we doing? And Saul is like, relax. We just won a division one game. What just because we beat Wisconsin doesn't mean that like you've we've arrived. Like, calm down. And so I I had to. I had to really learn and and study how Saul and Coach Miles carried themselves basket by basket, and I, you know, to stop living possession by possession, and 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 you know, we had a terrible practice. No, we had a great practice, and not not living in the emotion. the The game that we played to go to the NCAA tournament that year against Oakland, all right, that year. I, by luck of the draw, had all three scouts in the tournament, in the conference tournament. The, we were the number one seed. We played Centenary, right? And I, I, I'm not taking all the credit. Like, Will Ryan, because I got all three, Will was watching the defense and, like, helping me, you know, get through all of it. But so we played Centenary the first game. We literally won on, on a last-second shot. So we almost got – all this never happens if we lose that game. The second game we played UMKC, I had that scout. We beat them pretty good. And now we're playing Oakland, who at the time was our nemesis. They have an elite coach, Greg Campy. At the time, they had elite players. Um, Keith Benson played in the NBA for the Atlanta Hawks. Jonathan Jones was like one of the best players in conference history in the Summit League. And we had just beat them at our place, probably about like 14. Finally broke through and beat them. They had beat us the first four times we played them. We come out in that game and we get down by 14 at half. And I am literally sitting on the bench going, I can't believe we're going to the NIT after five years of waiting for this moment. We're going to the NIT. And I had to get myself together and just kind of calm down and sit there, not say anything while they were playing, let the guys do their work. And, you know, because Saul was a really calm presence like he never freaked out like when we were down when we were up um and we slowly clawed back at in that game and ben woodside hit in north dakota state lure hit a legendary shot right at the end of the game to win the game and i think that game was when i realized i just sat there for an entire half and said nothing because the work we did in practice is where their confidence came from that they could come back and win the game and the haze in the barn and we we didn't have to say anything at that at that moment they just had to play the game and play it the right way the last shot we took and there's you could see like still on youtube Saul interviewed on sports center and stuff and he's like i didn't have to call timeout you know i knew my point guard was gonna i knew exactly what we were gonna run you know they looked at me i I just told them we're playing and they just ran down and ran exactly what we would run in that situation. And that, that was where my perspective on practice versus game changed and the poise you have to have 
at that moment. There, there is no time to be making corrections. There is no like, you think you're going to go out there like a mad scientist and just X and O somebody and, and, and win the game. Like against good teams, that doesn't work. So it's really helped me uh, along the way. Just, just that game in particular, that Oakland game was like, this is the last time I'm freaking out like that. Like these guys got it. We're good. If, if we're doing our job right. So that's a great story of your transition from the fear and then now enjoying what you're a part of in the competition. Mm-hmm. So you've hit on a few items here, whether it was coming home from freshman, you know, the, going under the freshman team and a few items in regards to maybe not finding the success you wanted. But let's talk about your coaching career and failure. What's mm-hmm. the favorite failure that you've had that you've learned from and then progressed and moved forward with? Yeah. Um, so I will tell you this. First of all, if you coach long enough, at some point, it's not going to work out and you got to figure out how to start over, or you got to figure out your next path. Right. So I went from North Dakota state winning championships there to university of Toledo, won a championship there to Ohio university where Saul Phillips hired me back. First year we were horrendous. Uh, we, we were taking over for John, uh, for Jim Christian and John Gross. They'd kind of gone back to back. There was a lot of, coaching turnover. And when we got the job, the cupboard was fairly empty. We had a couple of decent players back. We had one, Maurice Sindor, that ended up playing the NBA. And had we not had him, it would have been a total overhaul. So uh, we won 12 games the first year. We got some very good transfers and some very good young high school kids, as Saul is always able to do. He's, you know, does a good job recruiting. And we were able to flip that thing and win more games in regards to turnaround than anybody in the country that year. So we went from we went from 12 wins to 25. The next year, we had the player of the year in the league back. We had the best point guard in the league back. We had, um, I mean, we had the best collection of talent in the MAC conference. Picked first in the league um, in January, Antonio Campbell, that player of the year that came back. You know, he was in the NBA draft process, but came back. He breaks his foot in January. So we still have a very talented roster. We end up finishing second in the league, get bounced in the conference tournament right at the last second by Kent State. And from there, we had two years where we were just not very good, right? And ultimately, Ohio decided to make a change. And that, for a 15 year career. Cause I got started in this thing when I was 23. So I was fortunate to get, get on the court early as an assistant. That was the first time I'd experienced like anything like I've really felt like I've, I've failed or I've let everybody down or, and so, you know, my mindset at the time, you know, I had some months to prepare for it as you kind of knew it was coming and my mindset at the time was if this is the end here, you know, it's the beginning somewhere else. When it happened, I called my wife. I said, this is the deal. I've got to operate right now. Like my job is getting a job and, uh, you know, we're not going to sulk about it. We're going to move forward and we're going to be fine. So I spent, I, what I did was in Athens, Ohio, I found a different place every day. And from nine to five, I made getting a job my job. And so I would go to Starbucks, sit there all day, 
go eat lunch, come back to Starbucks. Just talking to people, making connections. I went to the library, did the same thing. You know, picked a different spot every day. In three weeks, I had three opportunities in front of me, right, that I could have chosen from, essentially. Um, I ended up going to William & Mary. I said, I'm going to go out of area. I'm getting out of the Midwest. I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to do something different. And a lot of the reason I did that was because of the path that Shaka Smart, who obviously is a Madison area native, he went that route early and went to the East Coast and kind of was just like did his thing out there. And so I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna just go out there and see see what the difference is. Um, and I found a great place. I found a gym. Obviously, like I said, Coach Nathan Knight, who is now in the NBA. Worked for Dane Fisher, who was a Minnesota resident, and had a terrific experience. We finished second in the league my first year. Have a really, really talented collection of sophomores they have there now um, and a good freshman class, so they're going to be good for a long time. But long story short, that three-week period where I was looking for my next move, um, the final four was in Minneapolis. And at that final four, walking around with my wife, just thinking about, you know, this is going to be good. Like, we're going to figure out what our next step is. My resume is impeccable. I've got everything I need to be successful. I go to William and Mary for two years and ultimately end up at Minnesota, where that final four was and where we were dreaming about and trying to figure out the next step. Uh, so sounds like a little bit of magic or or you know luck or whatever it may be but the way i see it is um the way you operate in the face of adversity is the way things are going to end up however long it takes and so if my mentality at that time would have been you know this is just not going to work well you know I'd probably be successful in something else or, you know, but my mentality is like, we're going to get this done. We put too much into it. Let's keep moving forward. You know, that's something is probably going to work out. It might not be what you want it to be, but it's, it's going to be, it's going to be all right. And I, I feel like being at this school, being here with coach Johnson and the staff, like I've knocked it out of the park. Because you make things happen, you don't let things happen. And because when you let things happen, then ultimately you're relinquishing some of that control. Correct. With, with, in the front of your mind, the idea that you can't possibly control everything. You can't. It's not going to, there's outside, there's outside um, influences, there's things, there's uncontrollables that affect the outcome. And you have to be real with yourself and say, like, there's nothing. And there's times where you just got to go, there's nothing I can do. There's nothing. And, and that's okay. It's okay. So Yeah. And, and that's sometimes hard to do, but it's a growing process as well. All right. You've mentioned a bunch of names here. So I'm curious if you can just find one. Who is a mentor that you have had in your life and one lesson that you've learned from them that you use regularly? So this one's, this one's crazy, but. Um, you know, a lot of people would turn to somebody influential that has impacted millions of lives. My JV football coach will forever be the best motivator and 
he motivated from a place of love and a place of trust. And the most important thing I realized through that process that I will carry on with me everywhere is he always gave you the truth. Like he literally would look at you and go, you stink right now. What are you doing? And that, that, I think that was the most, and you know, he, he would, he would make you feel bad, but he would do it in the right way. At times when you know, you've done something wrong. If he was very good at reading and look and seeing like, he, he kind of doesn't get this right now. And instead of really putting his thumb on you, he would teach in those moments. But when you knew you screwed up, he would lay it on thick. And then when you had a triumph, he would build you up so far that you, you could do anything and you would be ready to go out there and do it again. And so it was almost like every emotion you went through as a player, he was walking right alongside with you. You're doing well. Yeah, you're doing well. You're, you're struggling and you don't know what's going on. Let me help you. You're horrible. And I can see on your face that you're embarrassed by it. I'm going to tell you to just so we can verify it so you can get going. And he was tough and intense. And I don't have any of that in my bones. Like I can't, I can't do the things he would do. I mean, he, I can remember one time he headbutted me with no helmet on. Like this, his guy was old school and he, he was, he's still forever to this day. Just the way he went about aligning with your emotion and using that to motivate you however you needed to, perfect. Because I feel like where you get sideways with players, where you, where you lose your team, where you start getting into issues with people on your staff, that you know a lot of people deal with that at times, is when you can't read the room or when you put your emotions ahead of the team and, and what's going on or an individual that needs your help. That's, that's when you lose, especially with kids today. You can't do it. You, you've got to be on the same page with their emotion and operate. How are they feeling and operate appropriately? And Coach Davis, football coach, assistant at Verona, he was JV coach. He said he's, he's dropped a gem on me, dropped an absolute gem on me. Well, and it's interesting because it's not something you realize in the moment. And we never realize in the moment, but we always learn later. Coaching isn't about X's and O or offensive and defensive concepts. It's about being able to connect with the individual so their potential can shine. And <laughs> that's exactly what happened and obviously has stuck with you in some capacity or another throughout your coaching career and it sport is sport and I say this a lot we learn a lot from other sports just because he was a football coach doesn't mean he's not going to have an impact impact on you as a basketball coach correct um you know for instance I could if Luke Lowy on our team was he's from Fond du Lac if, if I told him you know we're running floppy action I want you to come off the screen all right well I could say that I could say it that way to a million kids but if I told them I want you to come off the screen. This is something you're really good at. Cut as hard as you can. You're gonna have a wide open shot. Now, boom, instantly, he's motivated to, to do it the right way every time, right? If there's an instance where he's already executed it and he's done it from a place like, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't do it 100%. Now I can say, like, look, the reason you weren't open is because you did not, you didn't do that the way you need to do it. Like you're, you're better than that. And he's going to understand that. Right. So that's just, 
just playing just playing the emotion game with them or whoever you're trying to motivate like it's always if you can tap into that you can coach anybody so obviously new job at minnesota you've got a lot of things that are new in your life tell Mm -hmm. me about an upcoming project that you have that you're motivated about I am so on the East Coast, a lot of the living is, you know, townhome, things of that nature. So I am now a homeowner with a yard, all that stuff. So I know you're talking about those kind of projects, but the projects I'm enjoying the most are the fix ups at, at the new house, getting things up and running. Partly because I, I literally think my son is going to be like a contractor. Like, I think he's going to, I think he, he loves trucks, bulldozers, tools. And so every step of the way, he, we got him a little lawnmower. And so he mows the lawn behind me every step of the way. Like he's following in my footsteps while I fix stuff, which I'm like, you know, I think it's awesome. So roundabout answer to your question, the projects I'm enjoying the most right now, I'm doing my job here at Minnesota, but I'm really enjoying working on a house again. I, I didn't think I would. I thought it'd be a hassle. I, every weekend, like we're at the house working on projects at the house. So now, That's great because you got to have your balance in life and that's mm-hmm. important too. All right, last question here. And I need you to use your imagination a bit. Being a UWL guy, I know you got some creativity in you. Mm-hmm. So imagine a refrigerator and you open that refrigerator and you look inside of it. What one item inside of that refrigerator best represents who you are as a person and why? Man, that is an interesting question. I would say bottled water. We have that in our fridge all the time. And I think kind of it's the one thing that you need. Um, And I think in regards to my, my intent, and the things that I want to accomplish at the end of the day, um, if I feel like if I feel like people need me around, I feel like I'm doing my job. And, and Todd Kowalczyk, former UW Green Bay coach, head coach at Toledo, he used to say this to us all the time as assistants: When you leave to go recruiting, you should be missed at practice, in the office. At like he he was. He was a tough coach, right? But that's what he said. You should be missed. And if you're not, you're not doing your job. And so I would say that bottled water. Uh, I want people to feel like when I'm not here, I'm missed based on not just um, X's and O's recruits brought in, but more about how I can connect with people in life. Perfect. I love that. Coach Kemp, thank you for coming on Competitive Mindset and best of luck this season. Thank you, sir. Uh, go, go Eagles, man. Go UW lacrosse. We got that in common. So, you know, I'm, I'm still riding with the Eagles. Competitive Mindset Music was produced by DJ Jojo Moore, and all images were created by Elena Keel. Be sure to subscribe, rate, leave a review, and follow us at Competitive Pod.